Welcome back to Investigate Joe Rogan, the podcast where I fact check and investigate things that have been said on the Joe Rogan experience. Today I will be looking at episode 1772 with Randall Carlson. People used to ask me to cover his old episodes pretty frequently. That was a common request I would get. And now he has finally reappeared. In this episode, I'm mostly going to talk about the Younger Dryas Impact Hypothesis and Atlantis. But mostly Atlantis, because Atlantis is way cooler, and I enjoy the animated movie Atlantis. So the Younger Dryas Impact Hypothesis, which Randall Carlson supports, is an idea held by a small minority of people that the Younger Dryas was caused by a meteor strike. The Younger Dryas was a relatively short return to glacial conditions. Most people say that this was caused by an influx of glacial meltwater into the Atlantic. That's pretty boring compared to meteors. Nobody really cares. Just a lame majority opinion. There are a few major criticisms with the meteor idea that I will talk about. The first is that there's no evidence of a decline in the area's human population around that time, which is what you might expect if a meteor really landed. The population of Paleo-Indians in North America, as they're called, seem to have handled the whole thing fairly well, which they probably wouldn't have if there was a massive climate-altering meteor strike. The megafauna from these times, like woolly mammoths and ground sloths, all the characters from the movie Ice Age, basically, went extinct at different times. And people say that if there was really this catastrophic impact event, they probably would have all gone extinct around the same time. Bison and brown bear also seem to have been pretty much unaffected by this supposed meteor to the point where they're still around today for people like Joe Rogan to hunt and eat and offer to podcast guests. Why wouldn't they be affected by a big meteor strike, you might ask? I also don't think that this meteor is in the movie Ice Age, which is a big strike against it in my book, because that, mo- that movie is very accurate. Randall brings up things like nano diamonds in the ground as evidence of an impact, but other people say that it's actually just graphene. You can make graphene with a pencil. You don't necessarily need a meteor. The dating of all this supposed evidence is also disputed. It's really quite a big academic battle, as you can imagine. Obviously, you only get one side in the JRE episode, and after looking at the other evidence, I'm not very convinced of this whole meteor thing. Was it a meteor? Was it just warm water? Who cares? Everyone knows that the real important issue of our time is Atlantis. This is the big one. Randall is obviously a huge Atlantis believer. He says that Atlantis was a very real city-state that existed on an island in the middle of the Atlantic. So all Atlantis lore ultimately comes from just two things that Plato wrote, Timaeus and Critias. Basically, in these dialogues, Socrates is talking about how the ideal city would be like this, and, oh, I wish there was some real story from real life about the ideal city that I've been talking about interacting with the real world in some sort of crazy scenario. And then Critias comes in and says, well, lucky for you, Socrates, I have just such a story because something like that really did happen. Ye olden Athens, the ideal city, 
had a huge fight with Atlantis. I heard this from my grandfather, who heard it from Solon, who heard it from an Egyptian priest. And the description of Atlantis is, in Timaeus, Plato writes this description of Atlantis uh, through a character. Many great and wonderful deeds are recorded of your state in our histories, but one of them exceeds all the rest in greatness and valor. For these histories tell of a mighty power which, which unprovoked made an expedition against the whole of Europe and Asia, and to which your city put an end. This power came forth out of the Atlantic Ocean, for in those days the Atlantic was navigable, and there was an island situated in front of the straits which are by you called the Pillars of Hercules. The island was larger than Libya and Asia put together, and was the way to other islands, and from these you might pass to the whole of the opposite continent. That's like a short description of Atlantis. There's other stuff in other parts. Atlantis being in these two works of Plato is pretty much the whole argument for the existence of Atlantis. Randall says that there are some fossils or whatever in this one area of the Atlantic that are normally found in shallower water, but he doesn't, he doesn't really get into it. Obviously, that could just be, you know, any earthquake could lower something. It doesn't mean people live there. He says that really, in order to find evidence, there would have to be an underwater expedition around the Azores, which is his Atlantis uh, destination of choice. He says that there's no evidence of any human activity that's been found yet, but hopefully some will be found when a random rich person decides to fund this expedition. Really, the whole Atlantis thing is just Plato wrote about it, so it is real. This is really more like a question of literary analysis than it is a question of archaeology. And the problem is that it's not clear that Plato is saying that Atlantis was literally real. These dialogues are not even about Atlantis, really. Atlantis is just a character used to show how cool the ancient city of Athens was and how it was the ideal city-state because they did these things, blah, blah, blah. These are philosophical or political texts, and nobody really thinks that they are intended to be history. Nobody except for really fringe people think that this is literal and not allegorical. And the idea of it being an allegory kind of makes more sense, because that's what Plato wrote. In a paper called Plato's Atlantis, The Anatomy of a Fiction, a scholar named Diskin Clay lays out some reasons for thinking that Atlantis is fictional. In the dialogue, Critias keeps insisting that Atlantis is real, and at the same time, he, he sort of apologizes for how fantastical Atlantis sounds, and for the fact that the Atlanteans have Greek names. Diskin says that this, weirdly enough, is a good indicator that Atlantis is not real, because if it was real, Plato wouldn't have to put that stuff in. The same thing goes for the so-called genealogy of knowledge about Atlantis. It really comes down through the grapevine. The character heard it from his grandfather, who heard it from this other guy, who heard it from the Egyptian guy. Diskin says that this is Plato's subtle way of saying that this isn't real. It's sort of like a, a nudge and a wink, like he's saying a galaxy far, far away, in other words. The way Critias relays the whole story is also not super realistic and doesn't really make sense if this is real history. Critias says that he actually has Solon's records in his house, 
but he doesn't bring them or even look at them before going to hang out with Socrates again. He says he's just going off his memory of hearing the story when he was 10. But perhaps the biggest issue here is that if Atlantis was real, and not just something Plato made up, why are there no other mentions of it anywhere in any historical record? They supposedly interacted with Greeks, Africans, and even Europeans. Why don't the Egyptians have any records of it? They were supposedly the ones with the ancient records, according to the character in the dialogue. And if you're really going to be a full-on Atlantis believer, you also have to buy into the whole Graham Hancock advanced ancient civilization stuff. Because there's no other way that a city-state like the one Plato describes could have existed that long ago, according to the historical and archaeological record. It was 9,000 years before Plato, according to the dialogue. Plato scholar Julia Annis summed up the issue like this. The continuing industry of discovering Atlantis illustrates the dangers of reading Plato, for he is clearly using what has become a standard device of fiction, stressing the historicity of an event and the discovery of hitherto unknown authorities, as an indication that what follows is fiction. The idea is that we should use the story to examine our ideas of government and power. We have missed the point if instead of thinking about these issues, we go off exploring the seabed. Now, all of that being said, I am sure I come across as a total Atlantis hater right now. I probably seem like an Atlantis denier. But despite having read all of this anti-Atlantis propaganda now, I am not fully convinced that there is no way Atlantis wasn't real. There is no way that an Atlantis like the one Plato described was real in the dialogues. But I can't help but feel like it is possible that there was some sort of Greek city out in the Atlantic that got destroyed by an earthquake that is what Plato is basing this whole thing on. This version of Atlantis really isn't so crazy. There really are sunken cities all over the place. The date mentioned by Plato really does fit with a known rise in sea levels in the Mediterranean 11,000 or so years ago. And it's not out of the question to think that memories of Atlantis could have survived all the way to Plato's time. Archaeologists and historians have found cultures with oral traditions that remember events that happened hundreds or even thousands of years ago. For instance, Aboriginal Australians have stories about rising sea levels that may refer to events that happened over 7,000 years ago. So because of those things, I can't be a full-on Atlantis hater. Some sort of Atlantis might have been real, maybe. Also, you have the city-state of Atlanta, and if there's no Atlantis, I mean, where do they get the name for that? They don't bring that up in the episode, though, because they're too scared. They also talk about the less important issue of climate change. In the beginning, it seems like Randall is on board with man-made climate change. But then later on, he basically says, yeah, no, it's not real. It's just the sun that's making the earth hotter. In fact, he says what we should really be worried about is a cooling period, since warming periods, quote, tend to be prosperous. He doesn't really explain how a hotter climate will make things more prosperous. Uh, but hey, you know, he, this isn't his main thing. The, the meteor is his main thing. Now this sounds plausible, it sounds good, because the sun is very hot. I hear, I have read about that. 
And this is the theory you see get thrown around the most. It gets brought up in the Alex Jones episodes, for instance. But it is just not true. There hasn't been an upward trend in the amount of energy from the sun hitting the atmosphere since 1978 when they started measuring. But the temperature has increased on Earth. There is also warming at the surface of the Earth, but the stratosphere is actually cooling. If it were the sun doing this, everything would be heating up. It certainly wouldn't be coming from the bottom up. The stratosphere definitely wouldn't be cooling. Randall is not at all concerned about global warming, but he is very concerned about asteroids. He talks about asteroids a lot. It's like he watched Don't Look Up, but he took it completely literally just like he takes Plato's dialogues, literally. In conclusion, although I don't really agree with Randall on anything, I did like this episode. I think everyone can agree that this was a good one. I don't think anyone disliked this episode. I will say, though, if I could play armchair psychologist here for a moment, which I can, because I own a USB microphone, I think that just like Graham Hancock, this guy has a huge persecution complex. He and Graham Hancock, when they are on the show, they both tell Joe Rogan that the reason their views represent a tiny minority of those in their field isn't because they're wrong and have no evidence. No, it is because there is a grand conspiracy in academia keeping them down. With Graham Hancock, it's the Catholic Church and the government that are out to get him. And with Randall, he says that the climate change industry is basically so scared of admitting that other things can affect the climate that they aren't willing to admit that an asteroid caused the Younger Dryas. I think if these people want to be taken more seriously, which I don't really know if they do, but they need to abandon this whole victim thing. I mean, (laughs) he more or less says that liberals don't want you to know about Atlantis. Obviously, that's kind of a reductive way of putting it, but it's funny, so I'm going to put it like that anyway. Anyway, I am not part of the academic conspiracy or the government, so you guys need to subscribe to the Patreon so that I can get some funding for this. There are four bonus episodes on there so far, and I'm working on another one on the history of Atlantis theories right now. Because when I was reading about this, a lot of really crazy stuff came up. The Nazis were real into Atlantis, for instance, which was surprising to me. The reason this episode was delayed, I'm sure you guys have noticed, is because I was initially planning on an underwater expedition to the Azores. And I had the submarine and everything, but it fell through pretty much at the last second because, you know... Uh, you know, COVID played a big part in that, and I was really busy, and my kid got kind of sick right when we were about to leave, and my shoe fell off, and it it was just, it was a whole big thing, and it just didn't work out, but maybe, hopefully soon. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends about Investigate Joe Rogan, and I will see you next episode. Mm -hmm.